This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 4? Um, and, and while you're finding that, um, many of you know, some of you don't, that about six years ago, seven years ago, we uh, signed some paperwork for uh, 11 acres and a 13,000 square foot church building uh, right here on Lewisburg Pike that was the middle of everywhere. And we were able to do it for uh, debt, completely debt-free and no cost at all. Like it was, uh, we just signed these paperwork and, uh, and moved in and it was just a total uh, just gift from God. Now, the point of that, of sharing it today is that that was the first time I had ever been a part of acquiring property for an organization where it was, there was no mortgage involved. Has anyone ever done that before? Like that's, that was new to me. And here's what happened. We go to our friend Yvette Meldrum and we're going to sign the paperwork and, and you get your free pen, you know, because you're at the little mortgage place and they give you a pen. And, and we signed the paperwork and then the lady leaves and we're done. Like it was a piece of paper with a signature. Did you know that that was possible? Like when you're doing a mortgage, it's literally like a book, right? You're, you're signing just this and that. I don't even know what I'm signing anymore. I'm just signing stuff. And as, you know, uh, as the Bible says, the large print giveth and the small print taketh away. <laughs> I'm kidding. The Bible do not say that. But, but life says that. And, you know, whether it's your insurance contract or your mortgage, whatever, the large print is the good stuff. And then there's the small print that negates everything they promised in the big print. Um, but when you're just signing a piece of paper saying, we're going to move into this thing and our transaction is complete, it's amazing how simple that was because it wasn't a two-sided promise. It was just a one-sided promise. We're moving in. Here's the paperwork. And it reminded me because I was reading Romans 4 and it opens up with the story of Abraham. And in the story of Abraham, it's um, in Genesis 15. He, he, he's going to make this covenant with God. And in those days, they didn't have a mortgage broker. Uh, they weren't handing out free pens at the bank to sign the papers. Uh, in fact, the only way they really could, they had to figure out a way to make it really serious. So you know if I'm making this deal with you, that it is serious. And the way they made it serious was, we're going to go get a cow, like one of these lovely cows next door, a bull, and they would, kid you not, cut it in half, I don't know if it was lengthwise or width, I'm not 100% certain on that, and then they would pull the pieces apart, and then to make the deal, you know, if, if I, uh, Dave and I, if you and I were making a deal, like we would walk in between the two halves, and in the middle, we would, uh, this is what I'm doing, this is what you're doing, and if I don't keep my word, let what happens to me be what happens to that cow. Like, that was how serious these deals were. So, Abram is making a deal with God. God says, I'm going to make a promise with you, I'm going to make a covenant with you, I'm going to make a, a contract with you. And so, Abram not only 
cuts a bull in half, he cuts a ram in half. This is all from Genesis 15, you can go and read it later. And then a couple of pigeons, just for fun. Um, Actually, it wasn't just for fun, we don't have time, but if you wanna do a a fun study, uh, figuring out why there was a bull, a ram, and pigeons, there's something beautiful about the gospel, even in that, because the gospel is on every page of the Bible. So, Abraham gets ready to make the deal, he cuts him in half, and what happens to Abraham is what would happen to us if we cut a bull in half right out here on Lewisburg Pike, the turkey buzzards came. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those buzzards, those, so the decorative, they're like the state bird of Tennessee. <laughs> Landing and pecking away. And so Abraham spends the better part of the afternoon beating away vultures. And God had not showed up. Abraham is continuing to this until it's late into the afternoon, and then it's nighttime. And after nighttime, he falls asleep, and it says a deep darkness came over him. And then he begins to hear a voice of the Lord in the dream and making this promise. And the, the promises of Abraham, it's like, man, I'm going to make you a great nation. Look at the stars in the sky. There's so many. That's how many people are going to be your descendants. And, and in the middle of all that, while Abraham is sound asleep, it talks about a fire pot and smoke and walks in between the the, the, the cut in half thing. And, and by the time Abraham wakes up, the covenant and the promise had already been made without Abraham's participation. And in that was a picture of the gospel. Because in Genesis 12, it says, Abraham believed and it was credited unto him for righteousness. And in that moment that Abraham, Abraham knew what was supposed to happen. I'm supposed to walk into the middle and tell you what I'm going to do. But the God of the universe knows better than that because he knows that Abraham would not have been able to keep his part of the deal. And neither would you. And if you don't believe me, How many times have you been struggling with a sin and you say something along these lines, okay, I'm never doing that again, right? Starting right now, tomorrow, okay, starting tomorrow. Okay, we're gonna go through the whole weekend and then by Monday, then we're starting then. Like, that's just humanity. And God knew that about Abraham and he knew it about us and said, if I make any sort of a deal with humans that require you to keep your end of the deal for your salvation, for your identity, for your purpose and your meaning. If it requires any of that, it will fail and you will not make it. But in this way, the deal that he was making was a way that then now God would make the deal. He would keep the deal because he's a promise maker, a promise keeper. And we don't have to be promise makers. We can just be promise takers, promise receivers. Now, with that in mind, I want to read from you the first few verses of Romans chapter 4. We're going to split this into two weeks because uh, Romans 4, he does a brilliant job of making the case for why justification with Abraham, and then he does a brilliant job of saying, and forgiveness of sins, and he uses David. So we're gonna start today with justification with Abraham, and then next week we're gonna talk about forgiveness of sins with David in the same way that Paul sets it out here for us. So, verse one. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? 
If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Verse three, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's a direct quote from Genesis 15. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation, right? That God was making a promise, not a transaction with us. However, to the ones who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Verse seven, blessed are those, this is from Psalm 32, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, right? That's what we've been saying the last few weeks. We're saying that the beginning of Romans, God, the, the good news of the gospel, this is not good views, it's good news, right? That's what we've been saying, and I want to make a case for that in the, in the few minutes we have together. So would you pray as we honor God's word, Heavenly Father? We love you. We know that this is your word. These are your promises to us, and I pray, Lord... Lord, I pray that your word would be a light and a lamp for us today. Lord, would you show in me the ways that I'm still trying to make this about how I'm going to earn my own way and just let it go and receive the goodness, the promises of God in the way that Abraham did. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you saw the, the headlines um, of the missing man in Turkey who accidentally joined his own search party. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> this uh, 50-year-old man had become, let's say, inebriated. And... Uh, turned up missing. He had wandered into the woods, and so his friends report him missing. The police send out a search party, and at one point, the guy in the woods looks around and says to all these people, hey, what are you doing? Oh, we're looking for this guy. And he's like, well, I'll help you find him. <laughs> this just happened this week. He spent hours <laughs> until somebody shouted out his name. It'd be like I'm lost. Hey, Darren, we're looking at Darren Tyler. I'm like, now there's a moment. He had a moment there where he could have made a decision. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It's dark. It's the woods. It's turkey. He could have just slipped away. <laughs> but you got to give him credit. He actually owns it. I'm, saying, oh, I'm sorry, that's actually me. <laughs> and I appreciate that we can make fun of this guy for being a doofus. <laughs> but can we take a moment to acknowledge at the search party? Like, how drunk were they? You know what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're looking at a picture of him on the phone and saying, oh. As I was reading that this week, it actually reminded me of how many years I spent 
in my Christian walk with my Christian brothers and sisters searching for the one who was already with me. Looking for Jesus and he was already there. Going through the woods, beating back the birds like Abraham and waiting and Jesus was like, I'm right here the whole time. And I think that's what Paul is making a case for the Jews, the Gentiles, for us, is that, hey, you can keep looking and looking and looking, but if you have received Christ, if you have believed, he's already here. You are already justified. You are through the work of Christ, and all you do is believe. You're already justified. Come out of the woods. Put down your striving and receive what he's done for you. Last week, we talked about that. Jesus died for our sins, right? The forgiveness of sins is a part of what he did for us. And what did we say? Forgiveness means you can go. Your your sins are forgiven, you can go. But he didn't stop with that. He said, you're also justified. And justified means you can come. See, forgiveness is what I do to one of my children when they make let's say, dumb decisions, right? When my, if my children make mistakes, if they, if they sin, whatever, like I forgive them and say, you can go, but the justification is that they can come because they are my children. You see, forgiveness, important, talking about it next week, right? Forgiveness is saying, you're off the hook on this. I'm not gonna remember your sins anymore. Forgiveness is about your behavior, Justification is about your identity. And the identity, behaving from remembering, and most times when I realize when I'm making really dumb decisions, it's mostly because I have forgotten who I am. I have forgotten that I am a child of God, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It's why the gospel is so important to be continually reminded of, because from that gospel identity, my behavior changes from the inside out. Now. That said, there's two ways in our world right now of people trying to be justified. This is not just a Christian idea. This is an idea that's literally baked into humanity that I want to be justified. Now, I wouldn't call it justified. I would, I would say things like, uh, I've, I've made it, or, or I have arrived, or I, I finally uh, I got the job that I wanted. And, then, and you know how this goes, especially if you're my age. There's more ladder. You've heard that phrase, right? You spent your whole life climbing the ladder into the clouds and you get to the top and all, what you realize is there's just more ladder. And the ladder, the Jacob's ladder, right? The, the desire to be, like, it's me desiring for man's way to be accepted, to be, uh, to be uh, loved, to have purpose and to have meaning. That is man's way of justification. The, God's way of justification is saying you're never going to succeed at it that way. It's not God being a buzzkill. It's just God being honest. Saying you, you're going to spend your entire life spinning your wheels. You could, take your, you could take another lap on the crazy train if you want to. But God will meet you at the station with grace, with the justification that comes from the outside, from put on you, not from one that you're earning by trying to change yourself. So with that said, we've got, we've got a little bit to cover, but I'm going to cover it quickly. And I want you to have your pens in your notebooks and to not feel like you've got to catch it all at once. I want you to know that if you're drinking water, any rednecks, when you drink water from a hose, 
right? Do you worry about the water that gets by you? No, you, the water you got was the water you needed. So don't freak out. Don't, I didn't get it today. Just, just drink from the hose and trust that the Holy Spirit's gonna give you the water that you need. Don't stress about it. Romans, in these few verses, I wanna show you what Abraham is teaching us about justification. He shows us that self-justification, the one that we're trying to do by our own, that's not something new. That's been around a very long time. And self-justification is self-condemnation. It is every time. He shows us that promised justification that comes from God, a promise of I am going to be justified, that is a secure foundation that you can build. Your life, your marriage, your career, your ministry can be built on that foundation. And then I want to show you that it is confirmed not by my efforts, but confirmed by Christ and his efforts. So number one, self-justification is self-condemnation. He starts here, verse one. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Do you see what he's saying there? Like, Abraham, if he was justifying his behavior, his identity, his justification by how he was acting, it would actually give him stuff to brag about, stuff to be able to say, oh, I'm doing this really well, and you're not doing it well, so it immediately puts me in a power position over you because I'm crushing it here. It's why the idea of salvation by works is so dangerous, whether it's from a secular humanist or whether it's from a religious. There's a, a church right here in our, our local community that has been the feature of a documentary that's just been released, that's a lot of news around it right now. And one of the teachings that you can find on the website is a, a teaching that says, and the title of it is, Saved by Faithfulness, Not by Faith. And makes a case for about an hour of why it's better that we are saved not by faith, but by our faithfulness in our behavior. And if you've ever been around any sort of religious organization or church where that is the case, one of the very first things you're going to know is if you're not being faithful, you don't get to be here anymore. You, get to, you got to be out of here now. Saved by faithfulness not only gets you out of the kingdom of God, it gets you out of your circle of friends because at some point you're not going to be faithful by this definition. And be careful what you wish for. A lot of people, a lot of broken hearts, and most church hurt that I've experienced in the past, my own personal journey and those that I experienced around come from some sort of a version of being saved by faithfulness, not saved by faith. Now, when I look at that from the secular side, because maybe, I don't know, it's a late service. Maybe there's some folks in here that you're not walking with Christ or maybe you're sort of on the fence about this whole thing, but I want you to know that these aren't just Bible ideas. These are very much baked into the part of who humans are. This idea that we're gonna be justified by our culture, justified by success, justified by moralism. Like There's all kinds of versions of this in our world. And what Paul shows us here is that if Abraham was justified by works. He had something to boast about, but not to God. Why would it not be to God? In other words, he could brag, 
right? Because he's crushing it. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you're, you're kind of just succeeding at a whole bunch of stuff that maybe doesn't matter? but you're doing really well so the score matters and I can score it out. But he's saying you can't do it to God because God knows the truth about him. It's why this whole thing going on in China is so terrifying for people. The the social credit system in China. Is anyone familiar with this? Yeah, many of you are. The idea is very simple. There are cameras everywhere. And by the way, there was a company, a U.S. company recently purchased by a Chinese company, which which they own 51%, which means they own the company, by the way. And just in the last year, China took over the entire company because it's 51%. They changed the name of the company, took on the software proprietary. They now own it, and it is a semiconductor company that is 100% devoted to helping them build out their system of social uh, this, this whole social thing with cameras everywhere. Th- this computer technology will allow them to have literally millions of cameras are all around the country. Not only cameras around the country, but access to your web browser, access to everything you've clicked, access to everything you've searched, access to your speeding tickets and to your speed on the road. And Brian and Shelley lived in China for 10 years. A lot of people that love Jesus over there. I don't think President Z is one of them. Here's why that's freaky to us. Because if that was in our country and our social score was based on every click, every word, every speed, everybody I ever cut off, every purchase I made, is this a good purchase or a bad purchase? If that's all being added to the score, here's why it's so scary. There is no such thing as a good, perfect score when I'm being watched 24 hours a day. The reason it's so freaky about that, it's why I don't want God judging me that way either, is he knows more than the Chinese government would know, and he's even going to know more about how imperfect I am. And if I'm trying to get there by the score, right, you get extra points for this, but you get points deducted for that, and now because you've got your points deducted, you can't get on a bus, or you can't get on a plane, that you weren't wearing a mask here, so now you can't get these points, or you were... uh, mean or angry at a a stoplight or whatever, that got caught on a video, so now you get less points here, but but you get more points because you followed this little program that they had for you. You literally don't even know where you stand until you try to go buy a house or try to get a a credit card or whatever, and you can't do it because your social score is bad. And my point is, is that is a demonic version of what we're all afraid that God would do to us, which is that I, he's watching everything, and at some point I'm gonna get this replay of my entire life on some video somewhere. Did, you ever, did anyone ever get taught that as a kid? What a, what a terrifying thought. When my mother went to be with Jesus uh, 2008, uh, if you've ever been in the room when a loved one passes, it's kind of weird the things you think in those moments. And you know, it's it's like a flood of whatever. But I promise you, the first thought I had, this is super embarrassing, but it's super true, is because she thought I was her perfect little son. She didn't know about Bible college. She didn't know about the refreshments that I had participated in. She didn't know that I had been arrested in, well, we'll talk about it later. She, She didn't know. And all I get, my first thought as she's breathing her last breath was, oh no, she knows. What does she know? (laughs) I got a lot of explaining to do. (laughs) 
Lucy, you have some explaining to do. <laughs> that's not the way the gospel works. Now, that's the way it works. If you decide, I want to reject the gospel and reject what Christ did, you are more than welcome to stand before God with a system that will pale in comparison, like the Chinese system will pale in comparison to what God knows about you. You want to stand before him on that basis, you're welcome to do so. But he knows just like Abraham couldn't keep his promise, you can't either. And therefore, the beauty of the gospel was that we would be justified not by our behavior, but by his promise and his love for us and the work that Christ did. That's the way this chapter ends. It was not about what I did, but about what he did. Now, why does this matter for us even in our own culture? See, right now in our culture, we're being told by multiple different areas of whatever that, so you've heard the term, you've heard the term social justice, okay? Now, by the way, in the ideas, some of the ideas behind social justice are, are good. We want, we want children to be fed that are hungry. If you've been around our church for any length of time, we hemorrhage money to make sure that kids who don't have a fair spot in life in Haiti or Uganda or wherever get food. They get taken care of. We believe that's part of the gospel, okay? But when I make it about social justice and not about Jesus. You see, justice and justified, the etymology, if you're smart, and second service, this is the smartest church, like when you're second service, you guys are the smart ones. Justice, right, justified, share the same etymology. But the differences between Jesus justice and social justice is social justice, there's a scorecard of how good you are doing. A scorecard for not only how good are you doing, but are you, are you it's not are you uh, not a racist, but are you anti-racist enough? It isn't are, are you pro this, but are you anti this enough? The scorecard keeps changing on us. The gospel doesn't change. But in this world, it's changed. And I literally, I just heard this, this interview with, and, and look, if you, if, if you, I don't know. If you don't like Jordan Peterson, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I want him to come to Christ, by the way. Because if you listen to some of what Jordan says, he, he identifies a lot of the problem of sinful nature in humanity. But Jordan, as brilliant as he is, is creating another form of works-based salvation. And I want him to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the only way to this. But he said this lately um, in an interview, that the claim of oppressive patriarchy identifies evil as externally in the social world. It's that malevolence exists. That's an original sin variant. The idea that there is, in fact, malevolence and evil. But where is it? It's in society and then this patriarchal spirit. That's really dangerous as far as I'm concerned because if it's someone else and they're evil, then all the restraints are lifted. We've seen this many times in the 20th century. And what he goes on to talk about is that when we make the rules that it's not about sin in me, but sin in a system, I'll justify an enormous amount of bad and malevolent behavior on my own to try to squash that behavior because I have self-justified myself with my behavior. He was interviewing a guy named Dr. Nigel Bigger from Oxford University and he answers this. He says, it's often struck me that the social justice crusade is a kind of Christian heresy, an unbalanced form of Christianity. 
Because on the one hand, the social justice warrior has certainly claims, and I've got a typo up there, has claims to the bit about the moral ire of the Old Testament prophets, but what they lack is a Christian sense of compassion for weak, feeble humanity. And this is the killer line right here, which we all are. We're all crooked. And the sense that the line between good and evil runs right down the middle of every one of us. And so the heresy isn't that there's sin in the world. The heresy is not that it's in a system. It's in me and it's in you. And that's what the gospel answers that social justice can't, that religion can't, that any kind of political thing can't. Because as um, an interview with Mike Baker on the, uh, the Joe Rogan experience, so I apologize, but I occasionally we'll listen to Joe while mowing. But Baker says this, that, and by the way, none of these that I'm quoting are believers, and I'm only saying this to you because I want you to hear that even wise, intelligent people from the world, and these are liberal, progressive voters. These are not conservatives I'm quoting right here, okay? They know that the hole in this is... Uh, that is unsolvable is that from a work side, we're not going to get there. But this is what Baker says. The problem with us trying to negotiate or do any of that to try to make them happy is you're never going to be righteous enough. You're never pure enough for the mob. Former CIA officer quoting that, that if I'm going to try to self-justify what Abraham was saying, I'm gonna, if, if this is Abraham and he's going to justify by his own works, it'll never be enough it will always fail. That's not God being mean, it's God being truthful and God being merciful because in his mercy, he said, Abraham, you don't have to, I'm gonna do it. Verse uh, three, but not before God as it is written, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as a righteousness. Not Abraham behaved and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham spent a lot of energy beating back the birds. Abraham spent a lot of energy trying to make it happen until he did. And what happened to him, which will happen to all of us at some point as we try, he finally just conked out, exhausted, because he couldn't keep up. And at that moment, the release, the belief of saying, but Jesus, I, you know, I was... And when you're sleeping, when you're finally ready to rest in that and allow Jesus to walk through and make the covenant and us to believe it, it's one of the most freeing moments. Because let me tell you, I don't want a world of self-justification. I used to. But what I really wanted, if I was being honest, is I wanted justice for you and grace for me. I wanted to judge you based on your behavior and I wanted you to judge me on my intentions. And I've learned in my half of a century of living that I'm going to end up in the same way that Abraham or anyone else that tries to be saved by works to get my meaning and my purpose and by any of this is that it's going to end up empty and alone and it doesn't end well. Saved by grace is not God just trying to be nice. It was literally the only way. And he, what did Jesus say? If there's any other way, Let this cup pass. There was no other way. And Jesus drank from that cup willingly so that I would not have to. And to show us that the next thing, which is by self-justification, is going to be self-condemnation. At the same time, promised justification is the secure foundation that we need to live by. This is promised by God, not transacted with God.
when you work, I, I've uh, owned companies throughout my life, and when it was payday, we called it get to pay day, right? Because this is what we do, we're paying people. We're just writing checks, hemorrhaging money. But it wasn't, we were investing in them. It wasn't like we were running a .org. There was no .org behind platform artist management. It was a .com because we were making profit and I would hire somebody and pay them money for their time with the intention that that would raise the investment and the value of my company. That's what he says here, that if this is just a purchase and a thing, just, I'm just working for this, that's not a promise, that's a transaction. And again, the wages of sin, right? We're going to get there in a minute. There's death. We don't want those wages anyway. And what he's saying here is that that's not going to be. This was not a wage. This was a promise, which verse 14 says, if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. Saying that if God makes a promise that I'm going to give you the identity, I'm going to give you, like my children, my promise, you're my children, you're in my kingdom, you're my pantry, right? But then I make them work hourly for it, the promise isn't worth anything because I created a transaction, not a promise. And that's what Jesus gave to us, and he guaranteed it by his grace, which is verse 16. The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. The guarantee of this is not guaranteed by my behavior, but by Jesus's finished work. That's the guarantee. That was the paperwork that we signed. We sat, it was so fun. We sat down at the table that was Miss Bobby Wright, who was 80 years old. Miss Bobby was one of the first, her and her husband, First five families on this piece of land in 1987 that saw what God had called them to do is the middle of nowhere, right? And 30 years later, it's the middle of everywhere. And on that day, we sit down with her and Cecil and Ada, these like senior citizens from College Grove, and, and we're signing these papers over to them. And the guarantee for us was we signed the piece of paper, they signed the piece of paper, and by the way, I didn't tell anyone until the papers were signed because I kept waiting for like Brentwood Baptist to swoop in and buy it out from under us because they had no business giving it to us. We were just this little ragtag, you know, bunch of nimble little knuckleheads. Like we had no business getting this. It was just the grace of God. So once we, once we uh, this is a true story, once we signed the paperwork, uh, the first phone call I made was to my buddy Sam Childers. Do you guys know who Sam is? Sam is affectionately known as the machine gun preacher. Uh, he has been in Uganda for the past 20 years. Uh, Don, I don't know if you've ran into Sam over there, but 25 years ago when, uh, when the, the Lord's Resistance Army and Joseph Coney were kidnapping children and nobody was doing anything, Sam hired Sudanese mercenaries and went after them and rescued a thousand children. Okay, Sam's not screwing around. So Sam spoke at our church like the first year we were out there, there's a film coming out about his life. And anyway, we sent him out with some ridiculous offering because God was good. And we're on the way to the airport and Sam's like, brother, you keep doing this. I'm, I'm promising. I'm prophesying to you, man. God's going to give you a building. I'm prophesying. And I'm like, yeah, well, you're Sam. You know I me. Mean? He's high strung as you might guess. So anyway, drop him off at the airport. I didn't think about it again until that moment when we signed the paperwork and I drove, I walked out and I called Sam and he was, God only knows where, on a satellite phone. He went, hey, buddy, do you remember that thing you said you prophesied, yada, yada? Of course I remember. I remember. Well, it just 
happened. <laughs> it just happened. God just gave us this building. And it was guaranteed by the signatures on this. The guarantee on this, God's grace is this guarantee. God's word. And if you wondered whether or not you could trust his word, whether his signature is any good, the last point, which is this, it's confirmed by Christ. Written on his hands. Signed, sealed with holes in his hands, in his feet, and in his side. He is confirming that not only am I good, I am so good that I am going to be the guarantee for this, not you. And he ends it with this in verse 22. This is why it was credited to him, to Abraham, and by the way, to you and I as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, verse 23, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, listen, who raised Jesus who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And verse 25, he was delivered to death for our sins, talking about forgiveness next week, and he was raised to life for our justification. If you wonder whether or not God can keep his word, I'm gonna give you a little pro tip in life. Someone walks around here and tells you, someone's gonna crucify me, okay? I'm gonna be dead for three days, and then I'm gonna resurrect you should listen to what he has to say, okay? When he does that, when he confirms it and says, oh yeah, and you just look, well, he's there and there's the holes, he's there. You should listen to what he has to say because that guy is a promise maker and a promise keeper confirmed in Christ. And I share this specifically because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. We live in a complicated world right now. We live in a world where there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of trauma, there's a lot of just complicated things happening. And the question is, are we serving just the crucified Jesus or the resurrected Jesus? They're not mutually exclusive ideas. I say that because there are moments in sadness that it's okay to grieve. Grieving is not a failure. God gave us feelings to deal with life on life's terms. The book of Psalms says that David sat along the rivers of the Euphrates and wept for Babylon. Uh, uh, Daniel did, David would. Uh. But at some point, Daniel had to shake it off. At some point, Daniel had to stand up, wipe his tears, and walk back into Babylon and follow Jesus. See, Tony Evans how about this? We have quoted someone from Oxford, Jordan Peterson, an ex-CIA officer, and now I'm throwing Tony Evans at you. Can you, I mean, honest to goodness, this is a good sermon, you know it is. Uh, Tony Evans, <laughs> I'm ending with Tony Evans just because you gotta, you know, gotta. Tony Evans defines faith as this, acting like God is telling the truth. It's not believing or saying God is telling the truth, it's acting. That's why the Bible calls it walking by faith and not talking by faith. Let that simmer for a moment. Put that in your pipe and smoke it and see what the Lord says to you in this. Because at some point, if we believe that we're justified, if I believe that I'm a child of God, I'm gonna get up in the dark world and I'm gonna be the light. If I believe that I'm the child of God, I'm justified, my identity 
Sins are forgiven, but not only that, but I'm a child of God, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How long will we sit by the rivers of Babylon and weep for what we lost, and at what point do we get up off our butts and walk back into Babylon and be Jesus to the world that needs it right now? We are justified by faith. Justified says come boldly into the throne room. Justified says you don't have to curl up in a corner. Justified says the same rights, the same inheritance, the same inferences that belong to Jesus now belong to you. And I say that because, I don't know, I, I think for a long time I thought I had to wait till I felt faith before I actually moved in faith. And that is not the way it works. Abraham didn't wait till he felt faith. He just got up and he walked out of the Chaldees and walked exactly where God wanted him. He screwed up a lot. You might think I'm disqualified from this. This is why it's so exciting to read about Abraham. By this point, he'd already two times said, hey, my wife is my sister. She's so hot, don't kill me. If you need to marry her, but don't kill me. This guy wasn't exactly someone that you would, uh, like a bastion of like courage, right? But at some point, he gets up and acts like what God said is true and move forward. If you just read the story of Genesis 12 and let the social people on Twitter, they could make a really bad case for how big of a nut job Abraham was if they just let that storyline define his life. But the gospel of grace says that your worst decisions do not define you. That Jesus defines you. When I hear people talking about the church and the church this and the church is screwed it up here and the church is that, I'm walking away from that stuff now. And you know why? Because I don't know who they're talking about. Have you been to China? Have you been to Asia? Have you been to Honduras? Have you been to Tennessee? There might be a handful of knuckleheads out there maybe messing it up here or messing it up there. But the fact of the matter is, is that the church of Jesus Christ is rising around the world, not shrinking. The church of Jesus Christ is feeding orphans and caring for widows and bringing justice into this world. Don't let some Twitter account teach you something that is completely inaccurate. I'm sorry, that is my soapbox. Do we have soapboxes around here? I'm, stand to your feet, I've gotta let you out of here, but listen. <laughs> The love of God, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in each and every one of us. Okay? I want to say one more time there's things that have happened in your life that are sad, there are things in your life that are traumatic, but please please consider not defining your life by the trauma, but defining it by his healing. Please consider not defining your life by how bad it went, but by how Jesus is moving inside of it. Because that, that is what it means to be justified by faith. Confirmed by Christ, resurrected. Heavenly Father, I pray that my words, um, Lord, I pray that your words reign supreme here today. I've said plenty of things that could be misunderstood, but I know that you, Holy Spirit,
I know that you can speak clearly even when I can't. I pray, Lord, that you would just imbue us with your courage, imbue us with the identity of who we are. Abraham, not justified by his works, thank you for that. We are not justified by that. We're justified by you and the work you did, Christ. And because of that, we can stand up as the, the church, the bride of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.